Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We're continuing our series in the book of Daniel today, The Triumph of the Kingdom of God. So turning your Bibles to Daniel chapter 10, verses 1 to 14, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, Prayer and Spiritual Warfare. One of the secrets of Daniel's remarkable life is that he was a man of prayer. It was his prayer life, as we read about it in Daniel chapter 6, that got him thrown into the lion's den. It was also his prayer life that led him to confess the sins of Israel. Perhaps the best template that we have in the Bible that teaches us how we should also confess our sins. Daniel knew his God for two reasons. The first is that he was constantly reading scripture, and second, he was constantly in prayer. But for Daniel, his prayer life was directly related to what God had called him to do and what God had called him to understand. It was John Piper in his book on Christian missions. He complains that too many Christians see prayer as an intercom with God rather than a wartime walkie-talkie. He pictures Christians sitting in their living rooms, speaking on the living room intercom to God in another room, wondering why nothing vital and dramatic ever happens in their relationship with God. Instead, says Piper, prayer was always intended as a walkie-talkie, a communication with one's commander while on the battlefield. And I have no doubt that Daniel was on the battlefield. From the time of his exile as a young man at 14, when he refused to eat the king's food, to now, as an old man, still deeply involved in the Lord's wars, Daniel needed to be in prayer if he was to prevail. And so as Daniel 10 opens up, we find Daniel, again, the recipient of a vision and responding in prayer. I'm reading Daniel 10, 1-3. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. Notice that Daniel has been dating the time in which he has received the visions. This one, he says, is in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. It's a very significant time. First, we know that it is the year 536 B.C., The last chapter, chapter 9, was dated 539 B.C., and we said that Daniel at that point was 81, and so it's three years later, and he's 84 now. He hasn't dropped out. He's actively involved in whatever activity the Lord has for him. But this year is the first year of Cyrus. You know, in Daniel 9, Daniel says that he was studying the writings of Jeremiah, and there he learned how long the exile would last. But since Daniel was studying the prophets, I have no doubt he had also read the words of Isaiah. So we need to remember that Isaiah's ministry spanned a very long period of time. It went from 739 to 685 BC. So just for argument's sake, let's assume that the words I'm about to read, which I assume at some time Daniel must have read, those words would have been written some 150 years before Daniel was 84. Isaiah 44, 28 to 45, verse 1, speaking of the Lord, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple your foundation shall be laid. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, 
to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. Yeah, 150 years prior to Daniel chapter 10, God had already ordained that Cyrus would be king of Persia and that he would be the man who would give the word and the exiles of Israel would be allowed to return to their homeland. Again, we see how amazing is our Bible. I mean, these are the words of God who ordains the end from the beginning. I mean, does Daniel know that the first year of Cyrus was a part of God's ordained plan? Well, I'm sure the 84-year-old man knows this full well. But let's dwell here for a while. You know, we do know that while this was the third year of Cyrus, we have a good idea as to what's happening. The book of Ezra tells us, so let's read Ezra 1, verses 1 to 3. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. So we know that Daniel was aware of the great prophecies that were all converging, and that he was standing at this great moment in God's redemptive history. But as was always the case, such moments are times of intense spiritual warfare. So two years before Daniel saw this vision of chapters 10 to 12, the first group of Jews had been permitted to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. The long night of Babylonian captivity was coming to an end, and I have no doubt that Daniel was unable to go probably because of his advanced age. So why is this return to Jerusalem so important? Well, the answer is found back in the book of Haggai. See, Haggai was one of those prophets that had gone back to Jerusalem with the exiles. And 15 years after the events in Daniel 10, Haggai was to offer a prophecy of the significance of the new temple that had been built then in Jerusalem. And Haggai says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Indeed, this is the temple that Jesus would come to, the desired of all nations. And through Jesus, the nations, the entire world, would hear the gospel, and the glory of the Lord would be known. So let's put it all together. Daniel had witnessed the Jews going back exactly at the time that Jeremiah the prophet had predicted they would go back. Isaiah had predicted that it was going to happen through a man named Cyrus who would let them go. I mean, all that happened right on schedule. It was an amazing time. And on top of that, the very temple they were going to build would be the place where the Messiah would come and through him, God would shake the nations. But this was also a time of spiritual warfare. You know, there was a plot underfoot to stop this rebuilding of the temple. So how successful were the enemies of the Jews in stopping the building? Well, Ezra 4.24 says, Then the work of the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped, and it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. See, Daniel must have heard that the enemies of the Jews had prevailed against them, and the building of the temple had stopped. Daniel saw a vision of a great war, and he was appalled. 
What would become of God's people? What would become of God's plan to bring the Messiah into the world? And verse 3 tells us that for three weeks, Daniel wept before God and refused to eat. He allowed his outside appearance to become completely disheveled. He was driven to prayer. He had no time for anything else but to plead with God for the people of Israel and for the glory of God. We have to stop here and make application. We need to learn from Daniel. See, I think we're living in a day in which one significant prophecy is close to being fulfilled, but at the same time, it seems so far from being fulfilled. What am I talking about? I'm speaking of Jesus' words in Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole earth as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. See, we know that the Bible has been translated into all the major languages of the earth, and we also know that translation groups such as Wycliffe Bible Translators are working hard to translate the Bible into every small language and dialect on earth, and we now see that the task can be finished in a generation. And we also see the church of Jesus flourishing in places where it's never flourished before, and yet a great portion of the earth has no viable church. While we're seeing this prophecy about the end coming to a point of fulfillment, we also see a great resistance to the gospel, unprecedented persecution. So how many of us have prayed and fasted about these matters? How many of us realize that Bible prophecy points us to a great war and that we're on a battlefield and we need prayer as a walkie-talkie to our commander-in-chief for us to give the kind of air cover necessary to win the battle? How many of us see how pressed we are to fight for the kingdom of God? How many of us are in prayer about the matter of the second coming? Well, let's continue to read Daniel 10, 4-7. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like burl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. God was again going to answer Daniel's prayer in a dramatic way. Hey, have you heard? Our free kids mobile game app, Bible ABCs for Kids, has some great new updates making it easier for you to enjoy time with your children as they dive deeper into God's Word. Let your child enjoy tracing uppercase and lowercase letters while animated friends cheer them on. With the added feature of descriptive poems to help your kids better understand the Bible. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. In a time where most learning is happening online, Bible ABCs for Kids helps our children continue to grow spiritually and in their understanding of God and His unconditional love for each of us. Download the updated version of Bible ABCs for Kids from the App Store and Google Play Store today. Or for more information, Just give us a call at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. You'll notice that in verse 4, 
Daniel indicates the very time when his fasting had happened. He was morning praying and fasting during Passover. It's significant. Passover was the time when all Jews celebrated God's deliverance of his people out of slavery in Egypt. And here again, Daniel must have remembered that the God who saved his people from the terrors of an enemy, that is, from Pharaoh, had the power to do it again. See, I don't know what battles you face, but you must remember that your God is the same God who delivered Moses and David and Daniel. He is the God of Paul and Peter and John. And one of the reasons you ought to know your Bible is to remember the mighty acts of God and realize that God can do them today. It's this perspective that makes your battles manageable. And so as Daniel standing on the banks of the Tigris, contemplating the warfare and God's mighty deeds, suddenly as he looks up, he sees a man. He notices immediately that his face is like lightning, eyes like a flaming torch and so forth. And It seems so much like what John would later see in Revelation chapter 1 when he saw visions of the resurrected Jesus. And this similarity between Daniel's vision and John's later vision have led some to conclude that what Daniel saw that day was a vision of the pre-incarnate Jesus found in the Old Testament. And for some, this vision also corresponds to an earlier vision of Daniel back in chapter 7 when he saw the Son of Man approaching the Ancient of Days and was given dominion over all peoples, nations, and languages so they should serve him. But there are others who point out that if you look ahead to verse 13, we'll find a hand touching Daniel and then telling of a fierce battle and then Michael, one of God's angels, helping this man. And so it's reasoned that since this man needs Michael to help him fight against the king of Persia, well, this can't be a vision of Jesus at all because... As Jesus told his disciples in Matthew, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I mean, no one's able to stand against Jesus. However, I'm still inclined to believe that what Daniel saw on the banks of the Tigris was Jesus, and here's why. When we come to verse 10, we're told not that the hand of the man in the vision touched Daniel, but rather a hand touched him, which I take to be a different hand than the one that Daniel saw in the vision. You see, when John saw Jesus, He says that his face was like the sun. And Daniel describes the man he saw and says that his face was like lightning. John noticed that his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And Daniel describes it like the sound of a multitude. John noticed that Jesus' feet were like burnished bronze, just like what Daniel describes. Both men describe this figure as wearing a golden belt with a white robe. Both men describe the figure as having eyes like either flaming torches or blazing fire. And the response of both men is the same. John fell at the feet of Jesus as though dead, whereas Daniel was filled with such terror that he lost all strength, fell down to the ground, and fell asleep in absolute exhaustion. It seems to me that Jesus appeared to both men in all his heavenly glory. Indeed, let's read through to the end of Daniel's vision of this man. So I'm reading chapter 10, verses 8 and 9. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. So what are we to make of that? Well, the passage doesn't tell us, but I have a theory. I think it has to do with what went before and what follows. Daniel had seen a great vision of a great war and of the hardships and trouble ahead of God's people. 
He was about to see a revelation of the realm of spiritual warfare. Remember how Paul described it in Ephesians 6, 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, I believe that Jesus Christ appeared to Daniel to impress upon him a very valuable lesson. And the lesson's this. There's a difference between Christ and the angelic and demonic realm. In the spiritual warfare that lay ahead, in the great battle between angels and demons, the battle whose effects would spill out onto this earth, resulting in wars and chaos and the persecution of God's people. See, it was so important for Daniel to remember his earlier vision, that vision of the great Son of Man. You know, he's been given authority over the nations. The nations of this earth may extend a mighty empire for, you know, hundreds of years, but this one, has an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and all the dominions of the earth shall serve and obey him forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. See, that's the difference between Christ, who is all-powerful and all-knowing and everywhere present, and who is creator and sustainer of all things, the difference between him and the angels and the demons who are locked in spiritual battle. Jesus is not pitted in an even battle with the demons. Jesus is Lord of all, and even the demons submit to his name. We ought never to forget that. See, I'm always concerned that whenever we speak of spiritual warfare, people become demon conscious, and then they lose sight of the magnificence and the power of Christ. See, the Bible doesn't tell us to fix our eyes on demons. It says, fix your eyes on Christ. A vision of Jesus will make every battle manageable. I hope you heard that. A vision of Jesus will make every battle manageable. It will also make our sorrows and griefs seem less powerful. For he has borne our sorrows, as Isaiah taught us, and he has carried our griefs. See, I think many of us need to reacquaint ourselves with Jesus. He's the one from whom the demons fled in terror. He is the coming king. His rule is unstoppable. Even nature answers to his command and does his will. None of this discounts the reality of spiritual warfare. You know, it seems to me that there are two equally wrong conclusions. You know, one conclusion that's wrong is that since Jesus is all-powerful, we're not going to face warfare. And the other wrong conclusion is that since we face warfare, Jesus must be locked into a high-pitched battle with the forces of darkness, and it's an even match. Yeah, you know, he's going to win in the end, say some, but for now the battle is so fierce he can't win immediately. See, I know that in our thinking, one of these conclusions has to be true, but they're both wrong. Jesus needs merely to say a word, and the word is done. He has no equals, none. At the same time, he has willed that the battle in the heavenly realms would carry on and that we on earth are partakers in this. That's why Daniel 10 began with the words that a word was revealed to Daniel and the word was true and that it was about a great conflict. And Daniel entered into the conflict by mourning and fasting and praying, which is how we should enter spiritual warfare. Now then, Daniel has seen a vision of the glorified Christ standing as he was at the banks of the Tigris. And upon seeing it, he's trembling and overwhelmed with emotion and eventually falls asleep. Now verses 10 to 14. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, 
For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. Now, that's the point of these verses, and none of us should miss this. Those 21 days, while Daniel was mourning and fasting and praying, there was a great war happening in the heavenly realms. It was Gleason Archer who said, these verses give us a fascinating insight into the supernatural forces involved when a believer engages in protracted and earnest prayer. See, we may not realize the mighty forces that are unleashed when we devote ourselves to intercession, before the throne of grace. See, this is a description of the walkie-talkie on the day of battle. Now, this may seem like a strange place to end our study of Daniel 10, but I, I assure you that we're going to take up this matter tomorrow. But for now, we need to come to a point of application. See, many modern believers are bewildered by what they read in this chapter. Prayer is addressed to God. God hears and immediately takes action. He dispatches one of his angels into action, who in this case is undoubtedly Gabriel. Gabriel said, I would have come earlier, but as I came, I was taken up in a massive struggle. For 21 days, as you were praying, I was locked in warfare and was not freed until another angel, Michael, came to my aid. So you didn't need to worry that God wasn't answering. He was It was just that there was a great war in the heavenlies which needed to be resolved. Prayer is warfare, and we need to understand the warfare when we pray and not give up. Thanks so much, John. Uh, Just a thought. I think it's true to say that most of us in our prayer lives aren't very persistent. So something we pray for hasn't come about, so we simply just move on. Yeah, and and sometimes it is true that the Lord will hear a prayer and say no, and that is true. Sometimes also what we are praying has not yet been clearly defined in our own minds, and God will use a series of events to clarify what he wants to do. Other times we're involved in real spiritual warfare. So, you know, I think sometimes when we've been praying about something like that, go to a trusted believer, share what you're praying with, and uh, get some counsel on these matters. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue in our series, The Triumph of the Kingdom of God, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Hey, we wanted you to know that there's still time to order our beautiful limited edition Back to the Bible Canada 2021 Growing in Faith Scripture Calendar. It provides you with words of encouragement, beautiful pictures of creation, and a uniquely designed Bible reading plan by Dr. Newfeld to encourage us to join together in reading through the Bible in 2021. There are limited quantities of this free calendar, so reach out today to ensure you get your copy of our 2021 Growing in Faith Scripture Calendar. To request your copy today and perhaps give a financial gift to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.